Good afternoon. I'd like you all to ask everyone to take his or her seat. We're about to begin our program. I'd like to welcome everyone. I'm Nina Shea. Um, I direct the Center for Religious Freedom here at the Hudson Institute. And I am also co-chair of the uh, Center's uh, working group on Christians and religious pluralism. And I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Hudson Visiting Scholar, Dr. Elizabeth Prodomo today, who is going to be leading our discussion. It is uh, our deep honor to be welcoming to Hudson Archimandrite Dr. Alexei Shahade. Um, he is with the, a priest with the Greek Orthodox Antiochian Church from Damascus, Syria. And he will be enlightening us uh, about the situation throughout the country uh, regarding the humanitarian and development situation. He is the CEO of the church's aid agency called the Depart uh, Department of Ecumenical Relations and Development, and it is a truly unique aid agency operating on the ground locally in Syria, and he'll be talking more about that today. Uh, so uh, after the discussion, we will have uh, a Q&A so that you can all participate in the discussion. And um, we are being live taped, uh, video streamed, and it will be available on the Hudson website starting tomorrow. So please join me in welcoming Father Alexei and Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you, Nina, and thank you to the Hudson Institute for having us here today. And thank you, Father Alexei, for uh, your long travel, uh, your long trip, and for being with us today to provide um, a, real, uh, a real granular look at what's happening on the ground, real-time information, what's happening on the ground in Syria in general, and in particular what's happening with um, the, the Christian communities in Syria. So thank you for, for making the, the trip to be with us. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you that you found time to come uh, to this uh, audience, to this meeting. I'm very honored and pleased to be with you today. Thank you. I wonder if we could start out just um, with you giving us a little bit of a, a thumbnail sketch about the Christians of Syria, and in particular, the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate of Antioch. Um, in, a, in a region, in the region where Christianity was born. Yours is one of the oldest churches in the region. Uh, you're the successor, the successor church to that founded by uh, the apostles, Peter and Paul. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the community, um, and in particular, give us a sense of the organic nature of uh, Orthodox Christians to, uh, the, to Syria, to its history, to its cultural fabric, uh, to its social fabric. We hear the term minority often used when uh, we're discussing Christians in the region, and that's a term that maybe numerically helps to describe uh, the, the Christians of, of Syria and the greater Middle East, but it also is somewhat misleading. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the Christians of Syria. Thank you very much once again. My name is Father Alexi Shehadi. I am a priest of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. This is the oldest and first church under the Gentiles, according to the Acts of the Apostles. 
So the first place where the disciples of Christ were called the Christians was Antioch. And Antioch nowadays is in Turkey, but this is in the new time. It uh, belonged to Syria, where I'm coming from. Damascus is well known, not only in the Bible, but even for many people interested in different uh, categories of researches in Syria, and where Saul became Paul. It's not far away the place where Saul was baptized to become Paul. It's in uh, the nearest of the Church of uh, St. Mary. This is a church of the second century. So the church of Antioch, the Patriarchate, where, where we are operating at the charitable arm of the church, from that street, Saul came down to the house where he was baptized. So this is a holy city, and Syria is really holy because the saints they died for their witness for Christ are unaccountable. So Syria is the cradle of Christianity. From there, St. Paul went to the whole world, from Antioch to Rome, and not the opposite, from Rome to Antioch. So even the Papal Church, the Church of Rome, they uh, have um, Paul as a founder of the church, but Paul and Peter had founded the church of Antioch before the church of Rome. So we are really the oldest and the first church under the Gentiles. Then the church spread all over Syria, all over the region, then to Greece, to Cyprus. Many later, many years later, went the Christianity to Russia. So you are talking about really the founders of Christianity and the first followers of Christianity in this area in Syria. We uh, went as Christians through many uh, epochs. We had the Romans, then the Byzantines, then the Islam of different uh, affiliations coming and uh, ruling in Syria until the Ottoman Empire. And then in 19, uh, as you all know, uh, 18 was the fall of the Ottoman Empire. And then we had the French mandate in Syria and Lebanon, and then the independency in Syria. It's very important to know that the first uh, parties in Syria, secular parties, were created, established by Christians. Michel Afla, Michael Afla, uh, he uh, created the Ba'ath Party. Anton Saadi, he created another party in Lebanon. Syria and Lebanon was one territory at that time. So therefore, Christians and Christianity both have a very uh, uh, rooted, historic uh, uh, times in the Middle East, especially in Syria and in Lebanon. Thank you, Father. I asked you to start with history because history matters. Um, and although we're in a town where we oftentimes are looking forward 
and not thinking about what came before. I think it's really important for us to understand the long, unbroken presence of Christians in Syria. And you mentioned Saul and Paul and where the conversion happened on a place called Straight Street. So for our purposes, we should remember that there's a straight, unbroken line between the presence of Christians in Syria in antiquity and up to, uh, up to today. And one of the things that brings us here today and brings you here is the concern about the sustainability of that community which has been intrinsic to and organic to Syria. So I wondered in terms of your work as the director of DERD, the Department of Ecumenical Relations and Development, of the, of the Patriarchate of Antioch. If you could tell us about the mechanics of your work, um, the, uh, the scope of your work. We, we read a lot in the news, for example, about other organizations in Syria that are doing humanitarian and relief work. For recently, we've heard a lot about the White Helmets, for example. But if we were to compare the White Helmets and the small footprint that they have in Syria to the work of DERD, DERD's footprint is literally all over Syria, I think with some exceptions, maybe with Idlib province. So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing every day to save lives and um, to help all Syrians. Now I will comment on the expression minority. Okay. I leave it to the second question because uh, now we are perhaps not the so-called majority in uh, the Middle East like before, at the beginning of Christianity, until the, the seventh century when Islam came to the Middle East. But uh, this is not a major. The major is the impact of the church in its society. So Gopadert, the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate of Antioch and all the East, Department of Ecumenical Relations and Development, we are doing, I think, wonderful job in Syria. Let me say this. We agree. We helped last year 2.5 million Muslims and Christians, mostly Muslims. So therefore, we are the yeast of the society and not the minority of the society. We have 22 partners worldwide, in addition to UN agencies uh, operating in Syria, in Damascus. And this is the unique organization having all these partners worldwide. We have no other organization in Syria having 22 partners, helping 2.5 million in a year, and operating all over Syria beside Idlib because we still have some insecurity situation there. And in addition to this, we have the trust of all those people, sometimes uh, they know only me as a person visiting them. So they trust the organization and give us money to help the people all over Syria. We have 1,500 uh, staff members. We have 35 uh, service centers. We have 44 offices. And uh, we have under those people, the outreach volunteers going all over Syria to check and to conduct needs assessment to realize and to give us a feedback about the needs of the people, uh, even in hard to reach areas. OCHA is very important UN agency, gave us the evaluation with 93.34 out of 100 and for UN agencies, we are 
a very low risky organization. So therefore, it's eligible for us to apply for multi-sectoral projects by UN agencies. In addition to this, for instance, UNSCR is well known even here. They recognized our procurement policies, and we are pre-qualified for the next two years. They, they do this every five years. So therefore, I don't know about the, what the white helmets or others uh, do, but I know about us. We are helping people regardless their religious, ethnic affiliations. Therefore, we are working in Damascus, for instance, but at, this, at the same time, we are working in Hasake Qamishli, what you call here East or Northeast. And we have our community centers. Even the courts are ruling there. The same, the government is ruling in Damascus. So we don't hesitate to go anywhere in Syria and to help people in need, regardless who is the uh, uh, ruling body in this or that area. We, therefore, we could gain the respect and the trust of all uh, parties in Syria, which are in conflict with each other. But we could gain the respect of them because we have no political agenda. Our work is only humanitarian, and we are trying to assist anyone we could, we could help. But sometimes, as you know, the resources are limited. So for instance, uh, we need much more assistance, much more funds to help the people in need. And remember, because we are the largest church and the largest organization, people are always knocking on our door because you are the big brother there and everybody is coming to ask for assistance. We have some other organizations, they are faith-based, they don't the capacity we have, and they are not distributed all over Syria, and they don't have the outreach volunteers. So in this term, compared with white uh, hands or other organizations, we are unique in Syria, and this is well known by all organizations we are working with. And as a proof of this, when I took over in the year 2015, October, we had only three partners. Now we have a 22. So this is a sign that all organizations, in UN agencies in Syria and outside Syria, when they come to see, to monitor the work we do, they believe in us, in our work, in the mission of the church, and they are helping us uh, as much as they can. Father, if I could just follow up on the, uh, this point about the kinds of work you do. I mean, the scope of your work, I think, is quite remarkable. Despite the relatively or comparatively lower profile of DERD, um, you don't make the news a lot, but nonetheless, you're, you're literally saving lives. And I understand that you do emergency humanitarian work, you do um, uh, early recovery work, and then sustainable uh, development work. But I think it would be very interesting, and you, you spoke about the fact that you minister, you serve uh, people regardless of their um, confessional or um, sectarian uh, identity, regardless of their ethnic identity. I think one of the things that's also quite remarkable about what you're doing is the focus on, um, on gender work in Syria, um, that so many households now are uh, women as heads of households. And I wondered if you could tell us about that work 
that deals with some of the most vulnerable populations, um, which also will be very important for any hopes of moving forward in a, a, a post-conflict sustainable development Syria. Here you can see some uh, brochures of the work uh, we do in Syria, here with the Norwegian Church Aid. This is, for instance, uh, we call the center Baytuna in Arabic, our home. So we give here not only awareness of SGBV, but also we help women with vocational training to uh, have some income for the family. This is one example. We have here with UNSCR even the same. We do a lot of work in the GBV field to assist women in their terrible time. And uh, they are very affected, especially uh, most of the families nowadays in Syria, they have no men in the family, not at all. Not at all, because either they are dying or they left Syria, or they are hidden because they don't want to go to any military conflict on this or that side. So therefore, women are responsible for uh, everything in the life of the family, to grow up the children and to bring some income for the family, and therefore they need a lot of assistance. So awareness session for women, vocational training, and we had the children at the same time with psychosocial support and child protection programs. And this is, for instance, what you can see here with uh, our partner, IOCC, the uh, Helm Center, is Dream Center. We have eight centers of this sort all over Syria. The same with UNICEF, we have here uh, a center for child protection. Uh, we have five centers, and this is all our programs. All this you can find on our website, www.gopadar.org. The page is the first and unique one worldwide. It's in seven languages. So can, you can read everything, especially in English. So under publications, you can find all these brochures if you are interested on knowing more about our work in Syria. So it's very important nowadays to work together <coughs> and to assist women in their uh, needs. Um, we give them uh, SGBV, as I said, awareness, how they can deal with such situations. We have the case management, and we have case managers. So for special cases, we have for them mental health also, and we have uh, some um, uh, other services for them to uh, assist them to overcome the uh, difficult time they are living in. So this is very important for you here to assist us in this term to give women more chance to survive. Because here is easy said that a woman is in difficulties. But when you go to the center and see the woman, and I visited all governorates in Syria, from the northeast, Hasaki Qamishti, Deir Zur, Raqqa, until the south, Swaida and Dar'a, during all over Syria and all governorates. And I uh, see by myself how people in need are and how much we have to do for them. Uh, sitting somewhere uh, behind the desk and telling the people what to do is very easy. Theoretically, it's very easy. But to know really what the people need, you have to go to the field and be with the people. 
And this is one of my duties. I put it on my shoulders and in my heart to go everywhere in all governor race and watch by myself how things are going on, how my staff is contacting the programs. So women are in need in Syria because, as you said, Elizabeth, they are you now the head of each family. And without the support, we cannot have uh, healthy children for the future of Syria. It's not only helping the woman, but helping the whole family to overcome the time and to have enough time for the children to grow them up for a, a, educated children and better future for the children and for the Syrian society. Thank you, Father. Um, I wondered if I could shift us a little bit now from uh, people to structures, but those are intrinsically uh, connected, particularly when it comes to uh, the survival and the, the healthfulness of, of Christians in Syria, but more generally of all communities. Um, we hear, of course, about the, uh, the enormous numbers of refugees and IDPs that have been the consequence of uh, the, the war in Syria now on it, in its seventh year. Uh, we've heard, however, less about the physical destruction. We know about the destruction of infrastructure, but we've heard less about the physical destruction of the cultural and religious heritage sites that are part of that long, unbroken history of the presence of Christians in Syria. In 2013, uh, in the news for a while, was uh, the case of uh, Malula, the destruction of a town that's, uh, I think, northeast of Damascus, uh, and the attacks on the monastery of St. Thecla and the associated monastery of St. John the Baptist. Uh, those were our world heritage sites. They are part of the Syrian Orthodox Christian community, but they are a heritage and a, a, to the world. Uh, we've heard recently about the attacks on, on Palmyra and the uh, attacks on the antiquities there. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happened to the cultural and religious heritage sites and why it's important to actually um, map, rebuild, and use those sites? What, what is the connection between the sites and people. And here I'm talking about churches, monasteries, but also museums, libraries, even cemeteries, things that help us remember and never forget that there have been Christians in Syria and hopefully there always will be. In Arabic, we say this war destroyed al-hajar wal-bashar, stones and humans. And if you see IDPs or refugees in Syria or going out of Syria, this is a sign that everything is destroyed in the area. So people, if we, they would have a small hope that things will not be destroyed that much, they will stay and defend themselves being there. This happened, for instance, in Mharde. Mharde is an Orthodox Christian town, so people decided not to leave although they were attacked several times from ISIS and Nusra Front, but they insisted to remain in Mharde and they defended some, themselves, so the church there was not destroyed. But uh, in other towns of Syria and other governorates, uh, when you now uh, consider r rural uh, Damascus, Istruta, for instance, revelated newly, so you can see the damages of the church there we have two towns in Harasta and Arbin. We have nothing there uh, left. So therefore, we have to start from the beginning. 
The same happened to, as you mentioned, to San Tekla in Ma'lula and to different parts of uh, Syria. In Dar'a, for instance, in rural Dar'a, uh, metropolitan uh, Saba, he is responsible for Dar'a and Suwaida, and I visited him a while ago. He told me, Father, I don't have any congregation more in rural Dar'a. All left. Churches are destroyed, houses are taken, so I have nothing, all people now. So I have only the half of my parish now in this uh, part in the south of Syria. Uh, you can compare this with different parts of Syria. The same in rural Hama, we still have uh, some uh, people there. So in general, the infrastructures of the churches are uh, destroyed. Only in certain cities, in the main cities, for instance, you still have. But in rural areas around surrounding the cities, so you can say uh, most churches, most uh, uh, monasteries are uh, destroyed. The achievement of this is not only to destroy a building. We can rebuild when we get money. But the historical aspect of the church is not there anymore. That is of the monastery, not there anymore. So that means you start with your history newly as a church, as a presence. So the stones are not talking anymore about the ancient age where the churches were built, where the saints were killed for their faith. So the same, if you, if you change the history, you change the mind of the people, the way they are thinking. And even people from different parts of the world, why they visit, for instance, Syria in the past? Because of the, uh, its historical religious aspects. Yeah? Now, if you know that this church is of the 21st century, she, she, she has not that value like some 16 or 17 centuries before. So it's a systematic work of ISIS and Nusra Front to destroy all history, culture history of uh, Syria, especially the Christian history in that uh, area. Father, I think you make clear that um, buildings and people are intrinsically connected with this metaphor of stones. And so rebuilding, reconstructing Christian religious uh, and cultural sites is a sign of hope for people that it's safe actually to go back, to return. But it's also a signal to all, all, all Syrians, whether Christian, Muslim, Druze, Alawite, that there's safety in the, in the locale. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about safety, just in the short time that remains. But tell us a little bit about um, how you see um, conditions on the ground in terms of physical safety. The US now has a, a new special envoy, a new presidential envoy for hostage affairs. And as the title implies of that portfolio, uh, the responsibility is to uh, help uh, recover and return people who have suffered kidnapping and who are held hostage. And I think it's now five years that uh, Mar Gregorius uh, Ibrahim and uh, Bulos Yazigi are both still missing. They were kidnapped. They are presumably, we hope, still alive, being held hostage. But this speaks to the safety question for people and for rebuilding. Can you give us a, a sense of um, the, the overall conditions and whether or not there's some hope with what we're seeing in Syria now? Elizabeth, to achieve uh, safety in Syria, it's not only the military aspect. 
you have to rebuild people. You have to change the mentality of living together. You have to create a harmonious society. And you have to work on establishing a cohesion society. So coexistence is very important for the safety of Syria, not only for the short time, but for the, for the future. So the role of the church is to work on this. And this is the instructions of his Beatitude Patriarch John the Tenth to work in every part in Syria where we have safety from the military point of view. But at the same time, the centers we have, for instance, is there to bring people together and to establish peace in hearts before establishing peace on earth, on, on the ground. Um, safety now in Syria, if we are talking about the military conflict, 80% of Syria is now safe. So myself, 80%, 80% of Syria is safe. So myself, as I said, I traveled all over Syria, not when it was safety. So I went to Aleppo uh, when Aleppo was in fire. Uh, so uh, everyone was surprised how we can do it and go to Aleppo in 2015. Uh, but I had to go there to strengthen the people, to encourage them, and to be with the team uh, for a while. We have safety. Therefore, now the needs of the people in Syria is getting more and more. Because people were busy with the military conflict. And for instance, from the side of rebels, people get money from certain resources to fight. Now, when ISIS and Nostra Front, all other brothers and sisters of those organizations are defeated, so people are jobless. So to put them in a good environment, we have to find job for them. And this will give the society more safety. As I said, safety is, in my eyes, also protection. So to achieve safety, you need protection. So income generating, for instance, projects, uh, some rehabilitation of apartments, schools, because we need education. Ignorance is a big problem in the Middle East. So therefore, we need schools. We need a health, health service. And the neighboring infrastructure must be prepared for a better life. We can work, as Gopa did, with our capacity all over Syria, I promise. And we do this. Visit just our Facebook, Gopadert Facebook. All the news are in Arabic and in English. You can read them. And you can see the work we do all over Syria because it's safe. So I invite you also not only to assist us, but to come and visit Syria and to see by yourself how situation is. Because we have different news with different agendas. So therefore, it's very important to go there and to see and to visit. And people being on the ground, we have many organizations, European, they had the chance to come to Syria because it's much easier to get a visa for an European than an American because you know the situation is very tense. So therefore, they came and they saw by themselves the work we do, and they are very happy and ready to help. Syria is getting better. The situation is improving, and we hope that soon the military conflict will go to its end, and then we will have more space to work and to help people. 
it's important not only, excuse me, but perhaps I talked a lot. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, That's why you're here. The safety of, of Syria is not only important for the Syrians. Geopolitically, Syria is very important for the whole region, for uh, uh, Turkey, for Jordan, for Lebanon, for Israel, Palestine. It's very important to have uh, a um, stable Syria, especially uh, the Syrians are very educated and very dedicated. And perhaps you have some Syrians in the United States, you know them. They are people, they want to work, they want to learn the language, they want to go to schools, they want to uh, graduate from universities, to have some business in this country and other countries. Therefore, it's our duty as human beings to help people there, although perhaps we don't have any a personal connection to those people living there, but as a human beings, it's our duty to help and to support people, especially people in need to survive and to have a better future. Important is to talk about the returnees. I don't know if we have time. Sure, let's. Returnees, uh, uh, as I said, because of the safety of Syria, now we have the IDPs, internally displaced people, they are coming back to their towns, the original one. The same, we have some refugees coming from Lebanon, Jordan, or, or Europe back to Syria because of the safety, as I said, and some of them. Uh, they didn't have the possibility to establish themselves outside of Syria because of different reasons. So for these people, if we can do something, we can uh, support them of having a better future with their children. Therefore, now the work we do is really going to be um, more and more, and the funds we need to support those people uh, is getting more and more uh, needed. Otherwise, we will again have a problem, but this time not military conflict. We will have a social conflict. And we have, will have crimes in, in, in Syria because people want to, to leave. If you don't give them enough to establish themselves, we'll have you know, some uh, crime uh, uh, which we don't wish ourselves and we don't need to uh, move from the military conflict to another uh, conflict in. and then perhaps you know who is the enemy but in the Syrian society if you don't help people to survive and to have enough you don't know uh, how you can restructure the Syrian society therefore it's very important now to think about the IDPs in Syria they are 6.1 millions 13.5 millions of Syrians are living under the poverty line out of 18,000. So, you know, we have 80% of the whole Syrian society living under the poverty line. We have 1.5 million, they are out of school children. We have more than 2 million sh women, they are heading now their um, uh, families. So, the work is huge, the needs are really uh, unlimited, but the resources are limited. And so we cannot uh, really compare the work we have to do with the funds we receive. And for us, as the largest uh, uh, organization in Syria, faith-based, we are not doing only for Christians to survive. It's our duty to help them as a church, but our duty, following the footsteps of the Good Samaritan, our simple, is to help everybody 
please read it in Luke 10. You will find out that this good Samaritan has helped his enemy. So you can gain the hearts of the people if you help them. The same Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And therefore, we are now Christians. We believe in him because he gave his life for us to have the eternal life. So whatever we give from ourselves is nothing. Even uh, I have been asked today in the interview, uh, are you afraid of traveling? I said, my life is not worthy if I compare it with the life of people in need. And whatever I will do and, and, and give is nothing with the life of Christ who gave himself on the cross for us. So to be a Christians means it's a way of life. It's not a privilege. It's a cross you put on your shoulder and go through the world and be the light and the salt of the world. If we do this, then we will be called sons and daughters of the Lord of God in the highest. In this term, I'm begging you as sisters and brothers to really find ways. Everyone in his environment. I'm not asking for money. I'm asking just to inform people about the work we do in Syria and to be our good ambassadors in this uh, society to tell people uh, about the work. If we get only 10% of the media attention the white helmets or others have, I think everyone would come and support the work Gopadert is doing in Syria because of our neutrality, because of our transparency. For instance, we have, it's well known to you, Ernst and Young, Deloitte, uh, PwC, they are our auditors in Syria. So we, we have to be on the same page and not to put the humanitarian aspect in a political uh, you know, uh, view. Humanitarian is humanitarian and politics are politics. No matter where people living in Syria, all are in need and all deserve our assistance. Father, I, I know that people will be anxious to ask you questions. Uh, I want to thank you for what I think was um, one of the most uh, elegant, nuanced, sophisticated uh, synthesis of uh, humanitarian emergency relief work, of sustainable development work, of the importance of inclusiveness uh, for social cohesion and for what we talk about as human security, and also for reminding us of um, the importance of your church, the Syrian uh, Orthodox Church, the Patriarchate of Antioch, in uh, trying to rebuild, sustain, and rebuild a multi-faith, multi-ethnic, inclusive Syria. It's really a pleasure to, to have you here. And I open the floor now to, to questions. We have, um, I think, about 15 minutes remaining. Uh, please identify yourselves when you, when yourself when you ask a question. And as I always say in my classroom, um, please remember that a question ends in a question mark. OK. Over here in the back. Daniel Burns, University of Dallas. Um, I know you said you don't do politics, but I was wondering if you could say something about ways in which your work might have brought you into contact with decisions made by the American government and what you would most of all wish that the American government would understand better about the situation in Syria or would do differently. 
am very thankful for any initiative which could create peace in Syria and better understanding of all conflict parties. So any, as I said, anyone in his environment, what is possible to do to stop the war in Syria and to think about peace and political solution for Syria, I will be more than grateful. We had a question here up front, and then I'll move to the other side of the room. Thank you so much for this uh, very important information. I'm from Syria. I'm from Afrin. I would like to ask, uh, you have offered a lot of uh, services or assistance to the, all the people, even you mentioned the Qamishli and Hasaka. I would like to ask about Afrin. Afrin have been occupied by the Turkish and the, some gangs, radical groups who entered Afrin. And in Afrin we have 3,000 people who have been converted to Christianity. They are Kurdish, converted to Christianity. These people, they have a, mall, a, a church, and this church, I think you know, know it, it is the Arai Saleh. And these people now, they have fled of Afrin because they are threatened by the, these gangs to be killed. So I would like here to ask, what kind of the uh, help did you give to these people, even to these, these people who have been threatened by the groups, because we are not talking only about Christians, about the Yazidis, about the, even the others who have been threatened by the Turkish and by the gangs who are uh, occupied the city. They looted the, uh, the churches and they killed the people there. Thank you so much. The first organization went to Afrin was Gopadert. Gopadert, our organization, the first organization went to Afrin to help was our organization. So we delivered kits, assistance, emergency kits, emergency response, as we call it in uh, our humanitarian language, uh, without making any differentiations between people or people came out of Afrin, we received as much as we could and we helped them. So it's very important in Syria to help all people in need, regardless. I know we are talking about Christians, but we don't want to recreate tensions in Syria, in the Syrian society, so people would see that a church with a cross is coming to help people wearing cross. This would affect this whole society in the future. We have some organizations working only for their uh, people and only with their people, for them and with them. And this is not helpful for the future. So all people came out from Afrin. The kits we had, we distributed, we helped them. The same we have done with people coming from Kassab on the border with Turkey at that time. The same from Dar'a, we are preparing ourselves now in Dar'a to help the people because we are expecting some military operations in the south of Syria. So therefore, I talked with the team uh, while I'm here in the US to prepare themselves and we talked with our partners to prepare themselves for any invasion of any military conflict to help the people coming out from Dar'a and rural Dar'a. So we are, as I said, helping people all over Syria, especially in hard-to-reach areas, and Afrin was one of them, and in rural areas, because uh, the most military conflicts are, are not in the cities, not in the towns, the main cities, but it's in the rural areas. Uh, and we don't have to forget that 
most people have left Syria, they are Sunni Muslims. This is very important. So Daesh and Al-Nusra and all these people, they don't care if you are Sunni, if you are Shia, if you are Christian, if you are whatever. They are killing everybody, destroying everything. So people in Europe, for instance, nowadays, or in Jordan, in Lebanon, in, in Turkey, most of them are Sunni Muslims. So they kill sheikhs even and put the, head of, the heads of the sheikhs on the minaret. So it's really a very unique situation, terrible unique situation in the 21st century, in the history of the humanity, what is going on there. And according to UN agencies, this is the worst, the worst uh, uh, consequences of the war after the Second World War. So we have a huge, huge um, uh, 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 destroy of, as I said, the, leave, the living stones, this is the humans, and the stones of churches, of public buildings, because everything is in Syria belong not to certain family or to certain person. This is Syrian heritage. Everything is Syrian heritage there. People would come and go. You had a few years ago another president than the president of today. The same in Syria. The same everywhere in the world. But the buildings you have there, the historical one, churches, mosques, monasteries, public buildings, they belong to the people. We paid our taxes to build uh, Syria. Not only one family or a person or whatever, one sect. So therefore, we have to care of all of this and rebuild the humans and the stones, as I said, the, 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 the uh, heritage of Syria, really to give people chance to stay, to remain there, or to return to their own towns. Thank you. Well, a question from, from this side? Yes. Uh, thank you for, for this presentation. Um, I, I'm, I just have a question. Don't you Could identify yourself? I'm oh, sorry. Your <laughs> My name is Bayan. Uh, I'm an architect from Syria. Uh, I really like your vision about what Syria is now, but I kind of think we should, to develop really a good aid to people, we have to be realistic about what's happening. Because I don't think Syria is safe now. I don't think people love each other. It's war, so basically everyone each, hates each other guts. It's scattered. People don't, I don't think people are going back home. As she said, people from Refrain are now somewhere else, and people from Ghouta are now from Refrain, and people, they cannot really go back to Ghouta because their houses are destroyed. And just recently, the Syrian government issued this law, 10 law, where you have to prove that you own the property to have your house rebuilt. And one Norwegian agency made a statistic about all the refugees in Norway, and 70% of them have property in Syria, but only 17 of them have proof that they have this property. So even the law is now about reconstruction is kind of unfair. So I think to develop, don't you think, in your opinion, that develop really good aid to people that we have to be really realistic about what's happening? It's really beautiful to have this beautiful image that Syria is safe and go like it is over, but this is really not the case. So, I'm sorry, but... You still have the Syrian ID, I think. You, you, you yes, are for longer time here. And I really want to go So back. you come with me now to have a journey to Syria. Uh, and we will, we will go together to different governorates, and we will uh, see by ourselves, our own eyes, how the situation is. Uh, look, 
my dear sister, it's very important to start just to sit somewhere and to blame the whole world. Let me, let me continue. Will not uh, benefit anybody. Talking about, about the military conflict in most Syrian territory is finished. If we are talking about safety of Syria, as I said, from this aspect, the aspect of military conflict is finished. It's not my statement. Go into internet and see all statements of European and Americans. We still have some areas in Syria, especially rural areas, where we have the military conflict. This is one thing. Second, people love or don't love each other. We cannot sit here and say it from far. We have to go back and to see people on the ground, how they help each other. I visited Ain Tarma, you know Ain Tarma in Istghuta. I just visited last week with the Norwegian church aid and Hex from Switzerland. People went there to see with me the situation on the ground, and they were very happy to see that Father Alexei hugging the Sheikh there, kissing each other, and trying to assist people living there. And all are Muslims with hijab, all ladies. They came, the ladies came. We know where the men are, the men are. But we, 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 they came for assistance, and we didn't ask any question. We just helped them. When you help, and remember, are you Christian? No. I'm asking only because we have the uh, parable of the lost son in the Bible, the, the parable of the lost son. So this son went far away from his house uh, and his father and family. So he did whatever he wanted, and then he came back. The father didn't say any word. Why you went, where you spend your money, you are a bad, bad boy, nothing of this. He received him and gave him everything to become again a son. So this is the role of the church. The role of the church is not to judge, but to help, to open hearts and to open hands and to receive people and to serve them, to be better people for the future. Believe me, love and faith can move mountains. So we have to do this, and we are convinced of this. Therefore, we are doing this. Things are difficult, but we have to change the reality there. So I'm not talking about a holy word in Syria. It's not. But at the same time, we are trying to do our best to have a better society. We will not stop doing this because we have some people here and there. Perhaps they have the opinion or the idea. We cannot do anything because the situation is very difficult. Uh, in the history, strong men and strong women, but it's only, you know, are for difficult times. Easy times, anyone can operate. But in difficult times, you need strong, strong men of uh, faith and of love. Thank you. Uh, we have time for one very short question and one short answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Father. Uh, so uh, the, last, the last question. Um, 
in the back. Elizabeth, yes. when we do some humanitarian work and we are not done, we ask for no cost extension. Yeah, okay. It's possible. All right, all right. Way in the back there. Yes, it's Josh Shepard with the stream. Um, Father, you spoke about a particular attitude that you've observed among certain Syrian groups um, of we must care for our own and disregard the rest. And I think that's uh, something that you see is prevalent among some Americans who would say we need to pull back from involvement in the world. Um, how would you respond to that sort of isolationist kind of mindset? Just to do good work in front of them and let them see that it's better to help our people not only to be isolated in their work because the humans are the same. Nevertheless, they are belonging to this or that ethnic or religious group. It's important if they are not willing by themselves to do this, it's important to let them see that work can be done in another way. All right, thank you. I'd like to thank all of you for being here, um, for taking the time to come and hear and listen and learn about what's happening in Syria. I encourage you to visit the website of Gopa Dard, and certainly if you have any follow-up questions, you can address them to, uh, to Nina, Shay, to myself um, as part of the working group, and um, we hope that you will continue to, to be engaged. And Father, thank you for your patience and for your openness. Yeah, Father uh, came from Damascus, so please keep him in your thoughts and prayers as he returns there. And that is, the website is www.gopaderd.org. Uh, so you'll find all the information This is the gopaderd.org. www.gopaderd, one word. Org. As I said, it's in seven languages, and you can follow our Facebook, Gopadert Facebook, and you can like our Facebook site so you can be informed every time when we have some activities. Just in the evening when you don't have anything important to do, check the, <laughs> check the site. And for people having Samsung uh, Android, uh, you can uh, download the page. Mm. So if you, you it's it's uh, we have Gopa Dead application. You can you can download the 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 uh, application. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.